0: You need to be willing to, to make the changes and do the work as well, but also when you're in a system that almost kind of rewards you just for doing nothing, you're really basically teaching people that you don't, you're fine where you are, even if you're not doing that well, you're still like, okay.
1: I turned 50 y'all when I started a podcast. Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life, and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easier to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, my guest is Paris Paris Prinkovich. And Paris is a podcast host of Master Your Mental. She's a professional speaker for NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. She's a best-selling author of her memoir, Crooked Illness, Lessons from Inside and Outside Hospital Walls. And Paris has made it her mission to use her story to teach others how to shatter the mental health stigma and overcome their obstacles in order to begin to craft the life that they've always wanted to live. Hi, Paris. Yes. Hey, Joanna. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Of course. I'm excited to talk with you. Me too. I've spent the last uh, three or four days reading your book. Oh my goodness.
0: I can't wait to see what you, what your thoughts really? are and how far, where, where you're at in the story because it's definitely, a very different journey from like the two ends of what I kind of get into of going in from, you know, being hospitalized, struggling, you know, getting this diagnosis, misdiagnosis, trying to figure everything out. And then, you know, what does it look like to really put your mental health first and what steps you have to
1: take to even start that process? So yeah, I was definitely, definitely is a journey still. Yeah. I mean, I think that is the first way I was introduced to you. Our mutual friend, Ashley um uh, mentioned uh, you and and said that she was going to your book launch. And um, she actually picked up a copy for me. And I hadn't read it at the time. But when I knew we were going to have this conversation, I went ahead and, and read it on my Kindle. I read the whole thing. And um, I mean, first and foremost, I am so impressed um, that you have taken, well, not, not just the book, but everything you're doing, but to write a book. You wrote this when you were 26. Was it last year you wrote this? yeah, twenty six. Yeah. so I mean, I think that's amazing. And um, <laughs> you know, to to not only be willing to share your story and write down your story, um, but to actually get it published and um to be changing people's lives. And so I was really impressed with that. But nobody else probably that's going to be listening to this has read your book. Thank so, you. Why don't you share a little bit about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a synopsis of what the book tells us about you and, and your struggle and your triumph really. Yeah. So the book is all about, it's
0: my, it's basically a memoir of my story. So going into both ends of what it's like for me to have struggled with my mental health, going from getting, being hospitalized, diagnosed with bipolar, and then actually going and finishing school, coming home, and then going back and working in the exact same hospital where I was a patient at. So being on two ends of the, of the world there, right? So going into the world of, you know, what it's like to be a patient in the hospital and then that whole situation and then really going back and then trying to help other people who are struggling and have been on that same similar journey that I was on. And it really taught me a lot about what it means to really get vulnerable. And the the beauty in that, because for so long, I never actually thought that I would tell my story or talk much about that because of the stigma and different things associated with that. So not really wanting to get too much into detail, just, you know, let me focus on you and what's going on with you and what can we do to try to help in some way. But what I was really neglecting was I wasn't able to help anyone really, because I was disconnected and like separated and not really didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I ever could do the work on myself. So I really was really neglecting my own self in a sense, and just being like, let me just distract myself. And it was just a lot of distracting for years, a number of right. years. Until I got into this conversation of you know starting the podcast, meeting other people who also, and it's it's so it's such a common thing now that you meet so many people who have some way some connection of you know whether it's someone that they work with or they know or a family member or a friend who's either you know think they they've struggled with bipolar or they've had a diagnosis and they know a little bit of their story, so I really feel like it's it, it's helped me to talk about it to be able to hear you know what other people are going through and then actually be able to work with some people and help them on their journeys with making a plan and just putting something in place to help them be able to have clarity on awareness of what's going on and really what they want to accomplish. So, yeah.
1: So, awesome. So, so just so that, just to back up a little bit so that people who are not familiar with you understand what we're talking about, you went through a period struggling with, Um, in, in your, in your late teens with depression and then mania is that that's what Mm -hmm. was happening. And, 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 and and then at one point when you were 19, you were hospitalized Mm -hmm. and given the, given the specific diagnosis of what your specific diagnosis was bipolar one.
0: Yes. Yeah. So that's what happened. So that was the diagnosis that I got. But before that, it was actually just the depression because I didn't have any of the mania until 19, like 19 years old. So that's what happened with that hospitalization.
1: It sounded like before you were hospitalized and given that specific diagnosis that you had some kind of intuitive knowing about what was going on with you in the sense of you were like trying to tell... I mean, you you had this knowing that you felt like it was bipolar maybe because of the the history with your uncle. Mm-hmm. And then you finally got your diagnosis when you were in the mm-hmm. hospital.
0: Yeah, that's really what happened. It's just like, I just felt like there was something more going on. I remember trying to communicate that. And I remember having my psychiatrist and therapist and I, it was always, what I was always told is, well, you know, you're working two jobs, you're getting good grades. you You look good on the outside. You know, you don't seem like you're having a, a breakdown or whatever it wasn't until that point. It's almost like it it wasn't real. It didn't seem like there was a possibility that you could have this because, and that's really what you're. We're all taught almost when you, we see like TV shows or movies when you see a character and they and they have bipolar. It's like whoa, like it's very difficult to function or maintain relationships and jobs and just a lot of different things. So that's a really that's all that you almost see I'm more on that end. So I remember my doctor's like, no, you know, it's just your depression and all these different things. But that I just I would notice having a lot more energy and not sleeping and like working two jobs, doing this and then going out and meeting people and partying, go and and not have, have just running like this and really trying to continue to push through it and not really get to the root of what's going on and why is this happening. And I was like, well, you know, my doctor said it's fine. So it's probably fine. But, you know, that's why I think it's important to really do your own work and, you know, do your own research on it and just really get clear on it and not just trust what someone says, because that's a, that's sometimes the case is you can go to a lot of different doctors and, you know, I've heard so many stories from people who, you know, I, oh, I was told I had this or, you know, this diagnosis and I've been on these different medications and, you know, there's a lot of it that we can really help ourselves with when we can get clarity on where the trouble is in the different areas of our lives and start to break that down and either get reevaluate your relationships or where you're putting yourself with your time, your environments, what your habits and why you're doing the things you're doing and just question that instead of just let me just take my medicine or... Let me just go to my appointment where you're. Re- you really know you're not making
1: any progress. We have to be our own health advocates. I mean, I feel this way. My background is more in physical, you know, the medicine, physical medicine, naturopathic medicine, um, functional medicine. But I think the, the theory still applies, which is we cannot just trust people in the white. Coats that have the medical degrees to tell us what is or what is not wrong with us, and and give us the course of action. We have to um, be our own health advocates, whether it's mental health or physical health or spiritual health. We have we all have an inner knowing, and we we you know, and our ability to tap into what we know and what we can discover and what we can learn, as you say, through research, through introspection, through monitoring ourselves, through, you know, reflection, um, journaling. You know, you mentioned all of these things in your book. Um, and and you also mentioned multiple times in your book how we are not taught these types of skills as humans, as children, as people. We're, we're not mm-hmm. taught any of these skills. And so you were really forging a path for yourself of discovery. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you say that, especially
0: when you bring up the point of not being taught these skills or anything like this, it's, I feel like it's almost like you're taught the opposite to just present the best version of yourself. And it's almost like you're making people uncomfortable when you want to get into, you know, whether you're having a bad day or, you know, you're grieving something or you, something happened in your life, no matter what it is on what kind of level of, traumatic experience. It was wanting to get into these conversations. And that's really what I started to do because for so long, I didn't even have the awareness. I just knew I'm not happy. And, and I just would, the way I spoke to myself was a big player in that game of telling myself, well, you're, you're stupid, or you just need to keep your, it's your fault. This is on you. Like no one's going to care. No one wants to talk about these things, you know, just, just Distract yourself. Go over here, do this, you know, try to get a, it's just run away from it and then it'll go away. And that's really honestly what made it worse in in my case. So, really deciding either I'm going to keep repeating the same patterns. And that's what I noticed. And also in relationships as well, it shows. So, when I would leave either like a friendship or a relationship, a romantic relationship, whatever it was, these patterns of feeling how I was feeling inside myself. Like I'm going to have to carry different traumas around with me that I never felt comfortable talking about. So when you're talking about sexual abuse and going through rape what happened like in my case and not wanting to talk about it and then finally feeling like I can and then being shut down or, you know, it makes you feel like, well, then what's the point of even trying to do the work? If you're going to be looked at, down on or you're going to make people feel uncomfortable and no one even wants to get into the
1: conversation. So what do you do anyway? So that was a hard thing that I really had to teach myself. So, so what was the moment? What was the moment? Cause you talk a lot about, in fact, there's a whole chapter in your book about stigma, which is this huge like layer of, mm-hmm. of a wall that just kept you from sharing and telling and exploring and being vulnerable. Like what was the moment or what was the time frame or, or circumstances that you finally decided to break through that stigma and just say, I have got to cross over this wall. I've got to go through it. What what happened?
0: Yeah, so I remember being like having a couple of friends invite me to this conference. And it was a, it's a, it was a personal development type of conference that was happening. And I've never done stuff like that. I've never, I really didn't read anymore. I definitely didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't listen to any YouTube videos. I didn't really do anything to do work on myself. Gratitude, meditation wasn't even really working out that much anymore. So I remember going there and just being around or on different people who were having different businesses or starting different businesses or talking about what they loved and enjoyed. I was never really in rooms where conversations were around, you know, how you got to where you were or what you really enjoy, what, what the passions are and what you're doing. So I remember thinking, you know, what, what is it that I like to do? and what is it that i enjoy cuz i feel like i never really thought about that so letting my looking at the qualities that i have that i am proud of and that i you can work on so really being able to get into and then go to different events and also meet other people so getting into talking about their stories and that that's how mental health came up as a topic and that's when i remember actually sharing about my experiences with, you know, going in, going into the hospital and then going back into working there. And I decided that I wanted to start telling, I was like, I'm going to start telling a little bits of pieces of the story, but I don't want to get into like the whole thing. So I I remember making some videos and just kind of starting, starting doing that. But what really encouraged me to do that is just being around other people who were comfortable, very comfortable being vulnerable. And that made me feel, I felt very uncomfortable going into these kinds of rooms. And it actually helped me grow because I was able to to actually meet different people who were people that are good for you instead of people who, you know, people that I was used to being around where it's like, let's go out, let's drink, let's mm-hmm. get blackout drunk or, you know, <laughs> d- try this or, you know, let's do ecstasy or fucking whatever you, and, you know, stuff like that, where it's literally not productive. It's a, dis- it's, a it's a, distraction. Right. So getting around people who are p- pushing me to find out why are you, why are you doing those things or what are you really pushing you out of that? So that's really the start of it. That's so in- is getting, changing my environment. That's what it was.
1: That's so interesting because, you know, I'm sure you've heard the expression that says you are a combination of the five people you spend the most time with. Have you heard that?
0: hmm
1: Yes. And so, yes. And so, and so by, <laughs> and that's really what it was—is changing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you start to get exposed to like all these new ways of being and and communicating and bravery and vulnerability and like people like living out loud and 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 in, in an expansive way. And you're like, oh, this is allowed. This is cool. Like, you know? yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was very new to be around
0: that. Cause I know for the longest when you spend, and especially with stigma, when you're and wanting to, to talk about your own experiences, but you feel like you're going to be judged, you're going to be criticized. And you know, whether it's in like the workplace or around new people you meet. And now that that's really w- what I am is so open with it. I just, mm-hmm. I'm, it's completely different from how I used to be. And I, what I came to realize is that not there's different people you're going to come across who you you don't know their experiences or their story or maybe if they had a really close relationship with someone who also has a diagnosis or had a diagnosis or something with bipolar and it was a very very difficult relationship you don't know if that if there's been really bad history with that so for someone like me being so open with it is can be triggering for someone mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. who has a really bad experience, or maybe they felt like they couldn't help someone close to them. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're feeling guilty and like they had, they've given up on someone and now I'm very open about it. You know, that's what I have respect for. And I used to, before I'd be like, okay, they're judging me or they're criticizing you, but really it has nothing to do with you. Right. It's their experience and their story that you're sharing a part of yours. So really not taking things personal and just, you know, trying to find, you know,
1: the ways in which you can connect on that level. So I think that's a big part of it. That is really, um, that's just re- really resonating with me about, we, as humans, we, we, we walk around thinking that everybody, it's all about me. It's all about me. And in reality, mm. 99% of it has nothing to do with you, <laughs> right? Everybody's like their own... Um, I my my analogy is you know pinball machine. Do mm-hmm. you familiar with what a pinball machine is? You know the, the silver ball. I feel like everybody everybody yes. is a silver ball inside of a pinball machine. <laughs> yeah, and, we're, and the and the machine is is the world, and we're the ball, and we're rolling around. We're just bing 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 going off all the sides, and everything is, you know, we're reacting, we're reacting, we're triggered, we're triggered. And it's like, it has nothing to do with the other person. I mean, you know, you can, like you said, you could be saying something Mm -hmm. that is a trigger for that person, but that person is being triggered by a past experience that they had. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: not personal to you. Yeah. That's amazing that you're realizing all of this. Yes. Yeah. And no and that's
0: that's what so that's what caused a lot of problems f- for me especially in relationships or even trying to meet new people thinking okay they don't like me or they think this about me or you know when someone doesn't if you're someone who w- is impatient and like I like still like have impatience when people when, oh they don't respond right away or they didn't answer or they don't you know they they think this of me and then it goes into this whole cycle. And getting to the extreme with that is what I love that you talk about where you bring that analogy, the pinball analogy of you're just like bonking out and you're going around on edges and you're hitting all these things. And then you're just thinking, well, this thing is doing this to me and it's this and it's, and it's this, and it's really, it's what looking at the things that you can control and that you can, you know, how you respond back to it. Cause I spent so long reacting to things and, and forming different conclusions that weren't even real yet and just really letting that you know ruin mm-hmm. my day and just really mm-hmm. impact my mood. And a lot of it it was very
1: much that I I created in in myself. That's amazing. Um I have I have I'm curious on how you realize that. I mean I know you went to school for psychology and I know you've read a ton of books and I know mm-hmm. you've probably done a lot of therapy. But like, so was it a combination of those things where you started to Mm -hmm. realize about, and you talk about this in the book, about your mindset, that you had to have a mindset shift about so many different things. But like, was it a combination of those influences?
0: Yeah. So it was a combination of all of those things. And I think really a lot of it too was just journaling too, or just writing out how I was feeling and then trying to look at that. So, cause I'm such mm-hmm. a visual person. So when I can write out maybe like, okay, here's the relationships I have right now in my life. And here's, you know, how I typically spend my days or my time doing these things or going to these places. And then, you know, just even what I was doing with, you know, I'm how much I'm drinking or am I working out or what am I doing for myself to – and then how, how mad I stay with things, right? When something happens, like mm-hmm. with me getting hacked, for example, see, if this happened years ago, I probably couldn't even do this interview. I'd be like, no, I can't even talk to you because – I can't, I'm hacked and I have my accounts and I'm I'm falling apart and I can't do it. I probably would have not even been able to do this. And it really would have ruined my, probably a whole week for me. But now learning, like you said, the mindset shift that happens with looking at, you know, how these different things happen and, you know, what you, you can't go back and change it, but what can you do Mm -hmm. moving forward? You know, you could potentially you know, maybe get your accounts back, maybe not, but looking at the bright side of it is what are the the benefits of, you know, you're going to make a new account and now, you know, you're going to, you know, you can still go back and have those other relationships and those other contacts that you have, but, you know, really changing the, and just a lot of it too, is the way that you talk to yourself. So instead of, I spent a long, t- lot of time being very hard on myself because that was the language that I was used to being around in our relationships that were really abusive. So, and, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone listening to this has had a past with that of like, you know, maybe narcissistic relationships or abusive, emotionally abusive, physically psychologically abusive, or any kind of abusive relationship where you really start to take on those, those what's told to you and you really believe it and you start to repeat it. And then once you can get awareness of that, like, wow, I'm saying this to myself right now. And you know, when you can even as, as as silly as it might sound with practicing gratitude and writing out, you know, here's a list of 10 things I'm grateful mm-hmm. for or 10 things that you're excited for that are coming up or things that you've done or, you know, play people that you've met or just whatever it is, you know, I'm grateful for my phone. I'm grateful for the lunch I had. It, like literally just having more of that, when you're allowed to, when you give yourself more of that, it, and I've been doing this mm-hmm. for years, working on this for years, but that's really the differences I noticed is I, I wasn't getting as upset or angry or irritable by things that used to, everything used to bother me. And when you can start to do that and just give yourself, look at what you can control and what you can change. Right. So, and it is a lot of the time it is easy to get stuck and feel stuck because of the stigma and because of not being able to talk about what you've gone through, or, you know, if you have bipolar or not, or some kind of diagnosis or whatever it is, you know, that you're dealing with feeling like you can't go to anyone. And then when you do go to Mm -hmm. certain people, it's almost worse because it turns into like a joke or something that you feel more uncomfortable about. So yeah, just looking into the things that you can do for yourself to help you break out of those patterns that you're finally starting to notice.
1: You start to internalize that, and 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 you talk. What that makes me think about, and what I found really interesting in the book was your relationship with your mom, and um, you know when you are sharing the stories of of how she was around you and the things she would say, and it was. I will have. I will tell you, it was hard mm-hmm. to read. It was hard to read that part, those parts, and like I really you know, felt your, um, just anguish, um, when you were going through it, you know, when you were really going through it before, before and after you were hospitalized. Um, and I know we had briefly spoke, um, last week about your mom and you had mentioned that you had worked on, you had worked on your relationship with your mom subsequently, but could you talk a little bit about that, about how it was growing up with her and, and how she reacted to you when you were really, really struggling and how you maybe transformed that later?
0: Yeah. So that was actually one of the my biggest challenges was that relationship because for the longest time... When I was struggling, I would be like, well, it doesn't really matter that she's not there for me. You know, I don't need that. I don't need to, you know, have her be as I can find it somewhere else. Right. I don't need that. And I feel like when, when I was younger growing up, when I started to first started struggling with my mental health wise was, you know, around like 15, 14, 15 years old. And, and then with trying to, and going to therapy and starting therapy and getting into that and having her. A lot of it was, you know, coming home from the hospital. And, you know, I don't know. I remember because me and my dad are always really close. So he would, he he was always the one who I would go to and talk with and actually felt like I could tell him things. And I remember Mm -hmm. just with her being like, well, I don't know if you're taking your medicine or you're going to have another breakdown. And just even opening up to her about going through like sexual abuse and having it be like, well, you know, what do you, you know, you're going to have to go and get an IUD now. And this is just, and I, and I really felt like it, it was me. I'm like, well, that must've been my fault. Like I did something wrong. I, I could have done something. I, I feel like I make made myself feel like I didn't have control why, when maybe I, I, and I really believed the anger coming from her. Cause she was very, very upset and you know, when wasn't supportive for me and I felt bad about telling other people that, because I remember other friends of mine, I was like, wow, like your, your mom's so great. Like you guys hang out, you know, you go do things together. We don't have that relationship. Um, I don't have that relationship with her and just really try. And then I remember getting into working on that, coming to find that my mom not having that support for her with how like she grew up. And with within her family of never talking about mental health, never getting into these topics. So when I, you know, with my struggles trying to go through it, you know, just, just feeling very like shot down and not supported and not believed about it, like, and I it was very sad for me to come home and feel like just after being so traumatized in the hospital of things that I've seen in there, to finally be feel finally feel like I'm safe even when I got home, I f- still fully didn't feel that way to have her being like, well, is she ready to be here? I don't know if she should go back. Like, I don't know if you're going to take your medicine. And it just felt like I, it just felt like nothing I did was ever going to be enough. And I just kept spending, I remember just spending so much of my time trying to get her like feel like I wanted her approval or different things like that and then finally going back and actually doing the work in in therapy and getting being able to connect with her and learn about her experiences and you know really be able to see that and actually do the work and he, because I never thought that that would happen or that would be possible but that was a big big problem for me and I I feel like I see that in other people as well who also have diagnosis with bipolar of having issues with family members and the, how much problem that causes down the road and how it trickles into your other relationships and really, you know, just wanting to do the work on that. So I know that's really what I had to start doing and, I I'm very happy that I was able to do that and was able to tell her about the story and actually have her read it and sit, you know, come back and say that she's proud and she's happy that I, you know, am brave enough to tell, talk about these things and really, you know, have the podcast and, and share the story. So, and just be able to help her in different ways. So, I'm grateful for the journey, but it was definitely not easy going through that. When I when I felt like I needed that support when I was younger, right. But doing the work to learn more about it was different.
1: So my a question for you, which I couldn't quite understand or I didn't get, is: Do you feel like your perception of what was going on at the time with you and her was distorted by your dis, disease state? Um, and and it and it was and 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 the relationship was being tumultuous because of your disease state or do you think she still was behaving in a in a less than desirable way because she had limited capacity because of her own childhood trauma or is it some combination of both mm-hmm. like
0: i think it was I think it's both because looking back I remember I remember even telling her this about the book like I was very scared because I'm like I'm I'm writing this and talking about this and I want you like I I want to talk about you know the way ways that it was for me but also how I was too like I'm not trying to make it seem like you know you're a a horrible mother you weren't you weren't ever there for me and all these different things but also it was very I know how difficult it can be to try mm. to help someone like how I was where I was pushing everybody away and I w- and just really was isolating a lot. And I feel like we're very similar now that I think back to it because I would always be like, I'm nothing like her. We're not alike. And we really share a lot of similarities and with how, I guess, when you when you're faced with different problems, trying to act like nothing's wrong or everything's fine and just getting – and I remember just getting – it was a lot more paranoid of no one is there for me and just feeling like – not supported in my own family as much just because once I did get that diagnosis and did come home, it was harder because I just, I remember just, and we never really work, had that relationship where I felt like we were, she was someone that I could talk to about different things or even like, Hey, and now I'm very happy now that I am so open about it because, you know, other people in my family actually have actually, um, recently gone in, agreed to go into a hospital and actually got a Diagnosis of bipolar too. And because of that, I remember my um family member came to me and was like, thank thanking me because now they're able to, and my mom even was coming to me about it. And it wasn't like that before. Like no one was open about these things or would have these conversations. And I really didn't either. And I also was, it was a combination, I say a combination of the both because I realized that for me, I was also very unkind to her as well with, with the way that I would react back. So it was like a back and forth. And I remember always being like, well, she's, you know, she's the, the mom, right? Like she Mm -hmm. should, you know, try to, you know, apologize or figure out why or what's going on, but she's not. So she doesn't care and all these things. And that's how it wasn't, it was a back and forth thing. And I feel like, you know, finally being able to work through that. That's what I'm happy about now is that when other other people are it doesn't even matter if you also are have bipolar or whatever it is. If you're struggling that now we can have these conversations and other so many everyone else in my family now talks about, well, I went through this, and you know, I've gone gone through episodes like similar to this, and it's more common now where we can actually talk actually have these conversations because before I can never just feel like I can say because I felt like I was the only one. I was the only one who mm-hmm it happened to struggling. Yeah. yeah, so and just and that's why i feel like it was a combination of the both because of the way that i reacted back to her mm-hmm. and it was a lot every day was fighting and we also lived together mm-hmm. too. So i feel like it was always just back and forth fighting and nothing's ever good enough. You know, i'm like and i always felt like i had to like try to get her approval and i remember being like you never say i love you, you never say you know, if because I remember watching one time like one of my sisters be like, "I love you, I love you," and like she wouldn't say it back, and I'm like, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's just so pathetic! Like you're begging for her, you know, approval." But in the same way, I was doing the same thing, mm-hmm. just in a in a different way. I wasn't being like, "I love you, say it back, say it back." I was right trying to you know get keep my, I need you. Yeah. I need
1: you. Yeah. yeah.
0: By trying to push her away, yeah. being like, I don't, I have my other friends, I'm friends with their moms and they're, they ask how I'm doing. They check in on me. But I remember every time I would talk to my dad and especially when I would drink a lot more, which I don't really do. Like I'll, I still drink of course, but I don't like back then it was like five days a week, like a lot. And just like calling my dad, like or crying about it and being like, she never asks how I'm doing. And I feel like that's when you know, it does have an impact on you and it does bother you because I would, I would just say it so much. Like, I don't care that she doesn't, you know, that she doesn't ask how I'm doing right? and it doesn't matter. And, and it's, and it's sad because when, you know, really being able to, and I was always afraid of even going to her and being like, well, this is how I feel because she's going to shut me down and she's going to be like, well, Mm -hmm. and that did happen a few times, but I feel like we always have these, these fears of how things will go and the conversations. And now, you know, I can actually go to her and talk and, and talk with her and just have her there for moments in my life. You know, like my wedding's coming up, being there, picking out my Mm. wedding dress, you know, seeing, literally seeing, seeing her in tears twice when I try this dress on and being able to like hug her and like, and then help her with her and just talk with her and like, see her be more emotional. And she never was like that. And I was also the same way. Like, and I would say like, we're nothing alike, but we are very much alike. I would always try to hide emotions and I'm, I have this front, like I'm fine. I'm so strong, but really that's what it comes down to is vulnerability. And really it allows you to connect and to help each other. I mean,
1: that's it. I mean, you do, you talk a lot about vulnerability in the book and I just, I, I mean, I'm listening to your story as me, how, how after going through what you went through you are still able to make yourself vulnerable and and you know reach out and 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 foster a relationship with her i i mean i think i, I can't certainly speak for all women but i can speak for myself and say that i had a challenging relationship with my mom i think that w- women and their moms you know it's it's a it's it, it's inherently challenging, right? I mean, especially if there's lots of other kids in the house and stressors and things, right? And then you put in some mental illness in the mix, you know, and you've got a real fun party. But like, you know, I mm-hmm. I, I connect with you when you're <laughs> saying how, you know, you, you kept trying and being vulnerable and and knowing that she might shut you down and but you still kept trying. I mean, I don't I mean I honestly don't know like how you did that. I mean, it's to me it's a very um brave strong thing you did and I don't know why I'm like honing in on the mom relationship, but I mean, I think for me that was just so like relatable. You know what I mean? That whole situation um and i'm just am, s- amazed of, that you're able to just push through it and uh, it's astonishing really how's your relationship with your sisters they sounded like real nice people in the
0: <laughs> yeah so so in the so now yeah. and i think a lot of it stemmed from the relationship with my mom because it was always and i it was they were always closer so my sisters and my mom and then it was i always felt like i'm the weird one out and it was always me and my dad. And then my brother was just kind of like in, he wasn't like, he wasn't in like a side or whatever, but I remember just my sisters just like feeling like I, cause I remember it was like back when we were younger, I feel like my mom would, you know, like talk like my, my three sisters and like talk with them. And then like, you know, if, if someone does something else or goes and I would be like, this is so weird. Like I would be like, I don't understand it. I'm like, shouldn't don't you want all your kids to, you know, be happy or just, you know, see how they're doing or whatever. And now it's like when one does something, you gang up, you gang up against each other with the other one. And now it's like, that's how I felt with me when I would come home when I was in college, cause I still live there and I would come home. And I remember just one time, like literally trying to make macaroni and I was mm-hmm. also like, and it was also hard being like newly diagnosed and you're just getting used to – like I was on my med- still out on my medication, the, the same one that I'm on at the time. But just getting back to normal life and then also re- coming to the realization that mm-hmm. all your relationships are very yeah. surface level and no one really it – just it's sad to even – to feel a lack of support and then have that in your own home. And then I was already on edge with that. So struggling with that and then going home and then seeing like going into the room and then trying to cook and then seeing them all together and then they're all like looking at me – And almost like laughing and stuff. And I'm like, they're talking about me and it's just, and it was hard. And I remember just like crying and being like, it's just a shitty feeling to feel like, feel like this. And I remember it was because my, me and my mom weren't getting along. So they all took her, they were like, it was always like them with her and stuff. And I remember that's kind of how it was. So my dad was always more with me. And I think that would piss my mom off because he would always be like, stick up for me and be like, well, you know, you don't have to talk to her like this. And he would never yell really. He would just like, he would talk and my mom would, me and my mom and everyone would be like yelling more. But that's really what it was is just going through all of that. And I feel like now also like when I did move out, I moved out, I think I was 22 when I was 22, got my own place. And I think things from that point, we just didn't talk at all, which I feel like almost made me sadder because at least when we were at home, we would talk, but it was always fighting. And I'm like, I was just, and, but at the same time, I would always tell, this is when I first met Dan, my fiance. And I'd be like, she hasn't, she doesn't ever message me or like text me or ask me how my day is going or anything. But I never did that with her Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. So I would always, and I, and I feel like that's what I noticed is that's similar about us is she would, she would always call her mom and they're very close. And she would always Mm -hmm. talk to her about like her other siblings and be like, well, this one does this and then this and then. but I would do that with my dad, with her and be like, well, she never talks about me. And he's like, well, she's always asking me how you're doing. And, try, and I'm like, well, why doesn't she ask me? And she, don't, she doesn't care, but it's, I never really did any of it either. And because I felt very rejected f- from her when I would try to bring up things and she would, a lot of it was like, you want attention or you're trying to get attention. And I'm like, no, like, I just want, I want a relationship with you I want to have that because so many people I know have that and I just and I have that with my dad but I wish I had that with you where you would you know want to learn more about things because I remember now now that I actually talk to so many people or and work with a lot of people who, you know, are, are younger and have bipolar and their parents are t- coming to me and they're wanting to learn about it. They're wanting to, you know, read my book or read other books. And I'm like, right. I wish that you I'm like, I wish you were like that. You know, I want to learn about this. I want to, you know, talk to her more about it, but I feel like maybe she, and then talking with her about it, I remember she was like, well, I was always, I didn't want to bring it up to you or do all this stuff. Cause you would get upset. And and we were, we were both like that.
1: So yeah, I, I I think it's awesome that you have a relationship with her now, and I, I know. know. Oh my gosh! So you mentioned um, the medication, um, and yes. um, I, in your book you mention it's um, lithium is the the medication that's prescribed pretty mm-hmm. um, standard for this. What do you call it? A disorder? An illness? What do you call it?
0: Disorder. Yeah. So bipolar, it's bipolar one. And then I know there's bipolar
1: one and bipolar two, but the most common one is li- lithium for bipolar one. okay. And that's the medication you take. And you said that you, f- you find it very, very helpful.
0: Yeah. So actually, so with my experience, so with my hospitalization, I was 19 years old and that's where I actually got the diagnosis, a bipolar one, and then was put on lithium. They actually also put me on Resperdal, which is also Resperidone, but I'm reading a a different, a lot of different books now. And I learned that that's actually a combination that they put different uh, people who have the diagnosis, but I only take, I've only ever been taking lithium and I used to take a lot more when I was back in those years ago. And now I take, I still take, um, one now still that's like it's um I think three hundred milligrams. It used to be like over twelve hundred a day. Wow. Yeah. Over twelve hundred a day. So, and yeah.
1: So you've titrated down yeah. to a really minimal amount.
0: Yeah. And honestly, what I should have, I mean, for so for me, ever since I came out of the hospital, I was put on court ordered treatment for a year. So I was at an outpatient clinic. And then after that, I I don't really know what happened, but I think my my primary care doctor was the one where I would see him. And go in and get checked, and they would do your levels, and then you know, and he he just would send the medication to my pharmacy, and I didn't even have a, far, far, a psychiatrist after that either. But now um he's actually—I just found out that he got promoted to uh, some chief uh, medical position. So now I'm finding I'm going to a new doctor, and I only go in, and you know, you sh- you it, you're supposed to go in like every maybe at least every six months to get your blood taken to see your levels of, because it can, cause you can get toxic. There's toxic levels that can be damaging. So you want to like maintain that. But for me, I've never, I've only ever gone off this medication one time. And what you see a lot is with people who have the diagnosis, they'll go like, they'll take something, they'll go off, they will take something. And then like it, and I think that's what really makes a lot of problems, like trying on this thing, going on this thing, and then doing this like back and forth thing. Cause I know for me, like, that's what I feel like is when I did go off, I was off actually the f- only time I ever really went off of it was last year. And I remember telling, I told my fiance and I remember even telling like my dad and like, I think of my mom, I was like, and then I, and I remember I was for three months and what I noticed actually is, it was so weird. I remember I would just be doing different things and I would just start crying. Like I'd be on a walk and it would just out of nowhere, I just start crying. And I have not had that. And it was so strange to me because that's a big, a common thing that you see, because I'm the kind of person where I think everyone's different and it depends on the person. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think every single person who has ever had a diagnosis or, you know, with bipolar, they all need to be on, medication. Cause I, you definitely mm-hmm. don't. And if it works for you, that's great. If it's not, then find another solution or something else that can help. But for me, I remember I just noticed that in myself and I didn't want to just, you know, test that and be like, well, I'll just, you know, cause I eventually, eventually would like to, you know, go down or whatever, less dose or whatever it is, but I just stopped taking it. For three months, and what you see is that it could it could get worse to the point of where, when you Mm -hmm. decide you're going to go back on it, it's not going to be as effective. So I just decided for me, like what is working well for me is what I'm doing now. So I take the one pill, I get do my workouts, I do my gratitude stuff, I read a lot, I do a lot of research. I have changed my life is completely different from how it was when I was really, really struggling. So that's my experience with the medication, but I've also interviewed other people who also had the diagnosis. This one guy was amazing. He used to be, he was, he's from England and I actually read his, his book as well. And he talks about lithium. He talked about being a stockbroker and going from that to like with the lithium and, and different things for him and how, and then just, it's so different for every single person and kind of like what they're doing and what works. But I've definitely had people share really bad experiences with it and then other people share good experiences with it. Um, but yeah, I just, what
1: what happened to the stockbroker? So he,
0: so I think, so he went off of it. Like, so how I did, he went off of it like a few times, like he would go on and then go off of it, go on, go off of it. And he just talked about now how he's still, I think he's like me now where he's on like the low, low dose now. And he's good. He's good. But that's, see, that's what it is, is, and that's what I would get Sal when I, I would work with people you know, and in going into the clinic and then they would, t- they would, because that's a common thing of when you're doing good, like, I don't need this anymore because. Right, right,
1: right. and For I'm, sure. Yeah. Like one piece of like a whole lifestyle change that you made and that you continue to do. And you mentioned some of them just now. Um, But others in the book, you mentioned like exercising and um, you know, just your mindset training and reading. And you've mentioned multiple times the gratitude journaling um, and changing your diet. Okay. When you wrote in your book that you were making the Velveeta macaroni and cheese, like every day, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, because I love macaroni and cheese and I, can't, I never eat it anymore. Right. Because it's just like, <laughs> but I, I was like, oh my gosh, she's eating mac and cheese every day, you know? And what is that doing to her gut, you know, and the gut brain connection, right? And so, um, what do you, you, you have a whole food based diet now, or what mm-hmm. do you, you don't eat it? Yeah. So
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I switched that. So I remember literally, I didn't know how to cook. Anything like at all. Like I couldn't even make scrambled eggs or anything. I would just literally go to I would eat McDonald's all the time, KFC, like fried chicken sub like just pasta boxes of pasta and stuff like this and just candy. And I did not definitely did not get my water intake to drink a lot of soda. Um and I just cut out. It's now I plan out my meals. So I have a board where I'll have like an not for breakfast. Breakfast is more just like what, you know, maybe it's like some fruits or some eggs or some cereal or different things in, in there is kind of what the plan is for that. But then like lunches, I'll have those dinners. Um, so sometimes I'll do, um, different meal prep services and just eating. Like I'd never like today I have, it's like broccoli potatoes and like um, chicken from I think flower child for lunch, which is so good. And now I, I love
1: I it, love flower child. right?
0: I love, I just love eating stuff like that now. And I used to not, cause my, I feel like I would crave all the time. Like I need soda. I need to eat these different foods. And actually I feel so much better now. And I feel like that's yeah. definitely contributed with the, with the struggle that I had with bipolar because yeah. that interferes with, the balances yes. and the chemicals in your brain and just your levels yes. of irritability, energy, tiredness. So that's what I like to teach people is like, you know, when you can make these little changes. And also again, like for me, a big thing was identifying what are my triggers. And even now, like writing things out, like when I can be so hard on myself for setting, you know, reaching a goal because I do so well, you know, when I'm, oh, when I'm working or I'm, you know, doing a job and I'm hitting these numbers and I'm going over and I'm doing so good. And then, you know, that what's, what's a trigger, right? So, oh, I'm, I'm not, you're not happy with where you are and you're, and I feel like I, that's what I'm always working on and getting clear with that. So before my, what my triggers were, were just fight fighting, arguing with like arguing with my mom, arguing with my past relationships so mm. all my past relationships fighting every single day arguing all the time and then sleeping i wouldn't go to i would barely sleep or i would sleep way too much getting clear on what these things are and then when i'm not feeling right. well or doing well what, like what's going on or what am I thinking about? And then get, writing it out to have awareness of it because that's, what's really helped me. And I, and that's why I love that you bring up the diet thing because that's really changed. And I remember even sharing it with my mom too. And being like, you know, like, like the way we grew up, like, I mean, we're all Italian, but it's, everything was from like a box and, you know, and now like she's, she loves it. Cause my fiance cooks like everything. So he he would cook some stuff for her and she like loves trying these new foods. So, I mean, I think any everyone can benefit from it, especially if you've had like a men, struggling with mental illness or bipolar or whatever it is, you know, just ch- changing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we have this um, – there's so many – similarities of what you're saying between mental health and just physical health. I mean, it's all, it's all affected by this, this hygiene, this health hygiene is really what you're, it's like, it's like, it's going to help everything. It's going to help your mental state. It's going to help. And it all affects each other, right? What we eat is affecting how we sleep and how, if we're tired, we're going to eat, we're going to want to eat a certain way. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it all is just a, a a spiral, right. We can be spiraling up, you know, into a good, in a good way, we can be spiraling down. And, um, yeah, I think that's so interesting. And people, you know, um, you think about the epidemic of like depression in, um, the world, but the United States and, um, you know, like that antidepressants are like the number one, one of the number one prescribed medications and it's like what would it be like if we just took and I'm not saying depression isn't real or that people <coughs> shouldn't take medication but what I am saying is <clears throat> if physicians first said mm-hmm. okay let's do some health hygiene let's look okay. at how you're sleeping let's look at your stress levels let's look at your at your nutrition intake let's you know let's look at your mm-hmm you know, do you feel safe? Do you feel, are, you know, are you, whatever, you know what I mean? All of these things. And, um, and if we, I don't know, I'm just coming up with that in the moment, but like, you know, how much would that improve our life and our outlook, you know, just by doing that? I mean, you've been able to virtually Mm -hmm. minimize your symptoms and your, and your medication use by, the, 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 mm-hmm. the diligent effort that you're making on a daily basis. I mean, you have to work for it. You're, you're This is like a job, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
0: And that's, I love that you bring up the health hygiene because I feel like that's something that I would try to implement too. Like I remember going back and working where I was a patient and meeting so many different people and like hearing about their lives and their relationships and seeing these common factors of a lot of it was what I went experience. So being like, okay, what can we change here or what can we do here to make these improvements? Because I feel like we're so focused on what we can't change. You know, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm, you know, if maybe you're like you're someone who's married and you're living with your ex-husband, you're like, well, I have to stay here because of finances and I can't leave and I hate him. And, you know, he's always... You know, bringing up different things, but I can't get away from it. But thinking about what can you do to put a plan in place to where you, you can work on that and, and just make it that because that's what I, my, my focus has shifted onto what I, cause I, that was all I focused on of this sucks. This is my mom isn't there for me. She hates me. She's never going to care about me. I, I don't feel like I'm close to anyone in my family. I don't feel like I have that close of relationships with people and all of this stuff. But what can you do to make changes to that or remove yourself? from the situation to, you know, if you live with in a bad situation, you know, what can you do to get away from that or get out of that situation or make it better and just try to look at more of the solutions and that's really what I try to do to bring more to the table in my podcast from other people who you know also have a diagnosis of bipolar or maybe know someone who does or they have expertise in that area of like what have you seen that's been helpful and that's why I love that you bring up the whole health hygiene yeah. because that's something I was never asked like I wish that I when I was in the hospital I was asked like, okay. Did you eat today? Good. Did you take your medicine? Yes. Did you do, did you go to group? It's never like, what are you doing when you leave here? Are you, do you have somewhere to go? Okay. Like, are you in school? Like, are you working? What are you, what are you trying to do? What's your passion? You know, getting to know the person, like, do you work out? Like, what's your diet? Like, like, what kinds of things are you, you know, are, are you even interested in changing that? you know, getting to know the person because most likely that's why the, this, these patterns keep repeating. Cause I remember I was so like shocked that I've only had one hospitalization in my life. And I met people in there who were like, I've been in here 10 times. I've been in here 19 times. And I'm like, wow, because part of it is on the person. You need to be willing to, to make the changes and do the work as well. But also when you're in a system that almost kind of rewards you just for doing nothing like, okay, you show up and you take your medicine and you come to your appointments. That's it. That's, that's it. You you're really basically teaching people that you don't, you're fine where you are. Even if you're not doing that well, you're still like, okay. So I love that you bring that up of really looking at the overall picture of the overall, over your overall health and how that impacts your relationships, how you think, how you treat people, how you see the world. Because when I used to walk into the, into rooms, I automatically thought that everyone was against me automatically. And that really prevented me from connecting with people at all because I thought that way. And now that I've worked on it and shifted it, when I go into rooms, I'm excited to meet people and connect with them. And I don't have this impression that everyone in the room is against you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that again, it applies to mental health. It applies to, um, physical health. It's like, it's like any garden, right? It's like any living, Mm -hmm. breathing thing. If you don't nurture it and give it high quality nutrition, air, sunlight, Mm -hmm. you know, love, kind energy and, and Mm -hmm. words and affection, it will wither and die. And people just think that our bodies are perfect and that they're just supposed to work. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I I used to say this when I used to give health um, Mm -hmm. um, talks about nutrition. It's like, we are Ferraris. We are Ferraris. I mean, some of us are Porsches. Some of us are Ferraris. Some of us (laughs) are Cadillacs, you know, whatever. But no matter what kind of um, you know <laughs> high end driving machine we are, we have to do. Do we have to have tune ups? We have to check the brakes. We have to get high quality gas. We should keep it washed. We should keep it in a garage. Don't do this. Nobody. I mean, not nobody, but it's yeah. it's it's really the the minority. I would say ten percent of people. Now, this is also like a. It can be a little bit of an elitist Mm -hmm. issue in the sense of, you know, I'm an extremely privileged person, so I have access to all kinds of education. You know, I have access to, um, you know, exposure to go to workshops, to, you know, Mm -hmm. read the books, to take the coursework, to get the degree, to go on the retreats, right? You know, and I have access to, you know, buying the supplementation and you know, going to the restaurants that have clean paleo food, all of these things. So Mm -hmm. I have, I have to be careful and say with what the information they have and the access to information and resources. Right. And, and, um, it's like when you know better, you do better. Right. And so I just want to just make a note of that because I am aware that, Mm -hmm. You know, some people just don't have access. They don't, there's, you know, in the middle of America, there's a food, there's a food desert, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't even have access to, to, to fruit, you know, high quality fruits and vegetables, um, or even knowledge, you know, about, you know, how our choices and our lifestyle affect our mental, Mm -hmm. emotional, and physical health. So um, I love that you, mm-hmm. uh, as a as a young person, are taking this initiative upon yourself, and really making it your life's mission to like optimize. And given mm-hmm. a precious, you know, uh, meat suit, given this precious gift, and 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 to yeah, and that's why I love that you bring bring that up because especially you know
0: with what it, with what information you do have. And, you know, being able to tap into that and then see, you know, just get awareness on what it is that you're trying to, trying to work on or what it is that is causing you the most struggle and pain that you can, can either have that written down or understand what it is and really be able to work through these things. So that's a, and I, I think that's huge, especially at what you talk about. It's how it relates to your mental health impacts all of these different things and it trickles down to it. So yeah. that's why I feel like I spend so much time on this. And then even, you know, being able to work, work with other people and help them on that is something that has really ha- brought me a lot of joy in doing that because I feel like there's so many people, you know, we go out to, you know, different, different people who, you know, have a medical degree or are, they are a doctor, but you know, I feel like it's different when you have a lived experience, like, like that because you can say like, Hey, you know, you know, all these me- you know, different medications you're talking about, I've been on those, or I've had these experiences, or I feel the mm-hmm, same way mm-hmm. you feel when you sit there and you talk about wanting to stop all your medication and not wanting to do this or, you know, getting easily upset or feeling like you don't have a lot of friends who you can relate to and talk about these things with. So that's really what I, what, what it is about. And that's really what I tried to share in my story of just, you know, sharing more, getting more vulnerable with that side of it, of what what the reality looks like instead of just how you seem on the outside to everyone or everyone around you.
1: Right. That's not doing anybody any good to to walk around in a mask and pretend everything is okay. It's so mm-hmm. odd, isn't it? It is really odd. Mm-hmm. I've been really I've been paying attention to when people lately. This is one thing I'm working on when people ask me how you doing to not do the automatic, you mentioned this, not do the automatic. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Like to really like, they're asking me, I'm going to just take a a second to, or two and actually scan real quick and and okay. give, you know, somewhat of an honest answer. Like, actually this is what's on my mind right now. Or gosh, I was just, you know, or, you know, do whatever it is, you know, like to be honest, we pretend everything is okay. What, like, so, I mean, I I'm 51 and I'm, I'm just starting that mm-hmm. whole process of not doing the autumn. And you mentioned that this is what's bringing you joy, you know, is, is mm-hmm. educating others and talking about these things and being vulnerable. And you, you've had this, you've started a podcast. Was this like two years ago? Was This is before mm-hmm. the book. Yeah. So podcast was like
0: two and a half years ago.
1: Oh yeah, you right bev- right before COVID, right in January of yeah 2020, wasn't that when you did it? Yes, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, boy, so you you've really dedicated a lot of time to increasing awareness of the challenges that come with with mental well, I don't know mm-hmm. disorders with 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 stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's really honestly, I feel like it's helped me a lot too, because I remember when I started doing it, just the more, the more interviews that I've done and, you know, talking to over like a hundred different people has helped me be able to, to, to figure out more of what, what's worked and just, and a lot of it is different people's stories. So seeing people who've gone, gone from being homeless, addicted to drugs to now opening up treatment centers and, you know, do, doing different things for people and going from again, like being, whether it's ho- your hospitalization or struggling with anxiety and talking about the, the parenting side of it, but now it's a lot more. Um, and I feel like that's the thing is as long as you start what you're doing, you know, that's the biggest thing is, is starting the work or starting the project or starting your book or whatever it is that you're trying to, to, to do, to help others through your story. Because that's the thing is all, we all have a story that is a story that we are like unsure if we want to share it or not. And usually those are the ones that are the most impactful and, you know, just encouraging people to do that more if, if they're comfortable, because if they've done the work with it and wanting to say, you know, here's something that happened to me or, you know, impacted my life or, you know, an event that you went through, whether it's like losing someone close to you or, you know, whatever that was that you experienced and how that really helped, what, what from that lesson can you pull to give to other people? So that's really what I try to do is just in, especially with bipolar, because you know, whether you're talking about but w- trying to ha- work bipolar and working. And now it's like, I'm, I i do not even care anymore. You know, if I were to go yeah. to go somewhere else and do, you know, a job and I, and I'm yeah. open about it, I, I don't let it affect me anymore. Like I do, because, you know, if someone wants to say something like, mm. you know, it's, I, I, the way I look at it is the, d- these different things are temporary. You know, you don't have to stay in one place forever. You don't have to stay here forever, you know, take what you, you can and learn. And that's what really the podcast has taught me is learning from these learning from other people's stories and then having other people you know reach out and share the impact that that's had and then that's really what encouraged me to publish the book because I I had the story kind of like started a little bit but I what I and I remember after talking to so many people and they're like oh I've published 9 books like 5 books and I'm like oh my gosh like wow and then they ask you, and I feel like that's again that again, getting out of your comfort zone and getting around other people who've done the things that you're you're like, yeah. I don't know if I should right. do it or I yeah, right? See, right. like you know,
1: you know all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm impacted by you right now. I'm <laughs> like, dang, maybe I have a story to share. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Yes. So you yes. have a pod what what is next for you? What is on the horizon? Where do you what do you what's what's your yeah, so and I also
0: work with um people too like it, one-on-one for just specifically with like bipolar. So around like where they are currently and more with like living well like solutions and kind of putting a plan together for that. So that's really what I gotten into, you know, actually actually at the end of <laughs> um actually this year here started doing that. And I think for that honestly again, like is just to continue learning more about it. And what's next for that is actually changing. So the podcast is staying the same. Nothing's going to be changing with that. It's just going to be a new name and new cover. And that's because of when I, I had this, it was, it was actually originally crooked illness. And this goes to another point, right? Of I, it was crooked illness and it's master mental and now I'm going to be changing it. But the well, the reason is I feel like we always get so caught up in starting things because it has to be perfect. Or what if I change it? And now it's like, it doesn't matter because now that's the thing is I'm changing the the name and then the cover, but I'm saying the message is the same. So it's all, it's a lot of it. I'm, I'm wanting to get more into it with my. Experiences because I've I've done a lot of the interviews and bring doing more of the interviews and bringing that back too. But just around topics with bipolar, so even like bringing like my fiance on and doing like an episode on like relationships and for people of how how do you maintain or what works with relationships, like what issues come up with it and how to work through that and like what does a plan look like. So just bringing other people on who and then not everyone has to have a diagnosis of bipolar, but whether they know someone who does, or they're like, they have some kind of expertise on it, hearing from them to be like, here's what I've seen in, I don't know, clients I worked with, or I talked with someone who was talking about keto. So keto as a diet and what she's seen it do in people that she's helped with bipolar. So see, like it's, that's really what it's all about. It's basically all about how to live living well with the living well, despite bipolar. And then really, again, like, smashing the stigma with that so and now it's like i remember i used to be so like i'd be like oh, i don't want to say wh- what it's really about or uh, my book i don't want to say I remember like i was at a dinner <laughs> one time and someone asked me and it was like this like 10 person <laughs> dinner and everyone got quiet and i was like it's about mental health and now i'm like i literally will say like it's about my memoir like bipolar disorder like in, in the hospital working and i don't care anymore
1: so. saying that Paris it's so much more of a powerful statement when you say oh it's a story it's a book about mental illness compared to mm-hmm. it's my story mm-hmm. about my experience with yeah. bipolar disease and being hostile, you know to mm-hmm. whatever you know like beyond that just optimization of my health I mean that is so powerful mm-hmm. impacts so many more people and you know when people are con- <laughs> connection and so thank you. Yeah and see
0: that's what it is is when cuz I remember I actually met someone in an airport like that cuz I was in an airport and I talk I started talking about it and then you know someone I connected with was like oh wow you know someone I know just got this diagnosis and and I was like wow and then see so that's what it is is like being and just asking people what their story is and just getting more out of your comfort zone and then starting these conversations because that's what allows other people to feel comfortable and being like wow like here's this and then you know, even recently every, I feel like a lot of the new people I've met somehow in some form, like this one lady I met, um, she's just, she's like, yeah, I I'm in PA school and I just got a job offer. And literally where she got a job offer is the place that I was taken before the hospital. And she's like, oh my gosh, talking to you right now. And just hearing you share this, like I'm actually, cause I was, cause I was considering not doing it, but hearing like you share what would have made a difference and like getting to know your story. So I feel like, see, like that, if, what if I didn't say that, oh, I'll just talk about, you know, what, something else, because I don't want to No, like, it's like, I'm sorry, but if you write a book about it, like, and you can't, (laughs) you're you're like afraid to say it. So, but yeah, and that goes to everything, you know, it is, but that's the thing. And not, that's not to say you have to be vulnerable everywhere with everybody at all times. So, the best place to send people to is, so since I was, I usually say Instagram and that one was hacked and then that's connected to the Facebook, but I do have, it's the mastering your mental.com is my website now where, um, everything's on there. And then also, um, the book is crooked illness on, um, it's on, um, Amazon. So it's there as well. And then I'm going to be, um, so once you can kind of you can get the podcast it's on Apple Podcast and Spotify and all those other places so you can get it there and then um yeah so if it you know applies to you and you want to learn more about you know the sto- my story and kind of like what works for bipolar, like what are some solutions or what's been helpful for other people or myself in, you know, managing it, like different things like that, then you can subscribe there. And yeah, that's pr- pretty much the best best places right now is on podcast Master Your Mental and on the websites MasteringYourMental.com.
1: And we'll uh, – I'll link all of those um, in the show notes so people have the exact address. Um, mm mm-hmm. Paris, thank you so much. You're so interesting to talk to and you're so inspiring. And
0: oh,
1: yeah, I helping a lot of people, I think you're helping a lot of people. Oh and my gosh. Thank you. you so
0: much. This has been amazing. I feel like I can talk to you forever. Yes. This is <laughs> been such a good conversation. We're going to have to
1: get together in person sometime. We'll go have lunch at flower child. Yes. Our favorite place.
0: We do hundred percent, but I'm so excited. I can't wait for this to come out and I'll definitely make sure that I continue to share, share that and just continue doing this work. But thanks again for having me on. It was yep. awesome talking to you. Absolutely
1: amazing. Thanks Paris. Have a good night. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.